Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to the Bible Immersion Podcast by the Well Madera, where we exist to point people to the hope and love and the wholeness found only in Jesus Christ. And the heart and the vision of this podcast is to do that by showing how every single story of Scripture snaps together to shape the one true story of Jesus. And we're calling this podcast Bible Immersion because we recognize that reading the Bible is its a lot like learning a new language. Uh, not only that, it's like stepping back into a completely new and unfamiliar time zone in a culture and a context that expects you to be fluent in their history and cultural traditions and even their inside jokes. And as we all know, the best way to learn another language is to completely immerse yourself in the culture and force yourself to begin thinking about everything through the life and the eyes and the language of that culture. And this is what the Bible is inviting you and me to do. We immerse ourselves in the story and we allow it to shape our identity as we begin to see that even a few thousand years later, we are still living within this same one true story. So as we walk line by line through the scriptures to know who God is and what he's like and what it means to be human as we're shaped by the story of Jesus, come with us and see how this divine gift of the scriptures points us to the past to inspire hope for the future. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Perfect. Yeah, I think uh, there was one verse before that, and no worries. I think uh, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Um, so anyway, I, I've just been thinking about this verse. It's really a theme all throughout Scripture. Um, it actually starts all the way back in Genesis 4, uh, where we've been, when Cain murders Abel, God says that he can hear um, or the blood of Abel cries out from the, the field, right, from the ground. And it's kind of a theme all throughout Scripture that God says, I can hear the cries of the innocent. Don't think that when somebody's murdered unjustly or uh, the poor kicked out of their homes because the rich want to build a bigger subdivision or whatever, like God's basically saying, I hear those cries of the innocent who are mistreated, Um and justice will be done in the end. Like God will make things right, which I'm, I'm so grateful for to think about how God doesn't turn a blind eye to the things that are not right in our world. He's noticing, he's observing, and he will bring justice in the end for really all of eternity. Um, and then he also invites us in to be a part of that justice with him. And many times, and I think of this proverb where he's saying, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute, and to open your mouth to judge righteously, to defend basically the voiceless. And so that's just something I'm thinking about right now, praying about. There are so many people in our city, obviously our nation right now in the world, that um, just feel like they're being mistreated and nobody's listening. And so I'm just asking the Lord. That's why I said I'm not necessarily going to teach these verses this morning. I'm, I'm just asking the Lord, 
What's it look like to be a follower of Jesus who is a voice for those um, who are being mistreated? And, you know, I just, even if we're saying, hey, not necessarily mistreated, what about 22,000 students in our school district who are just so lost and don't know Jesus? What's it look like for us to stand up for them? I mean, their home environments are so tough. Um, and just the, the difficulty of being a high schooler or a middle schooler or a high schooler, like what's it look like for us to stand and to point them, you know, as our mission is to point them to Jesus. And so just something I'm thinking about this morning, anything strike you guys as you, you read those, that proverb 31, eight and nine this morning. That's the first thing I thought about was the situation right now. Mm-hmm. Well, you read that. That's, that's a cool couple of verses there. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of want to sit and think about them, you know, just kind of have them on my mind of like, Lord, help me to be that voice. Um, not sure what that looks like yet for kind of the, the voiceless in our city and our nation, but yeah, I agree, Dave. Yeah. Well, good guys. Let me, let me pray for us and then we'll, um, hand it on over to Sean for some Genesis six and we'll, roll from there. So Father, we love you. Uh, We thank you for just how good and kind and compassionate you are. I thank you for the way you describe yourself in Exodus. You you talk about how you're compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, yet you do not leave the guilty unpunished. And uh, Lord, I, I thank you that in your character, you are both just and merciful. So you, you find a way to provide justice so that the wicked don't get away uh, with sin and mistreating and harming other humans, but you're also merciful in, in providing a way for all of us who've sinned and fallen short of your glory and righteousness. You've, you've provided a way through Jesus for us to have mercy, uh, to be forgiven of our sin, to be forgiven of our crimes. And so, Lord, we want every human being possible to know this that justice is coming, but there's mercy in Jesus. And so help us to be bold about this, to, to be a voice for, for those who are, are mistreated and not cared about, who are neglected, who are overlooked, um, and, and help us to point um, hurting people to your mercy and your love found in Jesus. So we love you. We thank you for your word. It's so powerful. We look forward to some Genesis this morning. Amen. Amen. All right. Go ahead, Sean. <clears throat> Dave, I like what you what you prayed about justice is justice is going to come in in even the smallest of things. Mm-hmm. You know, we get to see examples of it. Right now uh, we're going through the story of Noah and we get to see the example of, of justice, but yet still mercy um, for for those who trust God, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, where did we leave off last week? It was kind of a kind of a eclectic conversation. <laughs> do you guys remember where we were? Oh, I do. <laughs> you know, I remember where we were, where we were, Sean. Sure. How? Because I was given an assignment. You <laughs> <laughs> were, and I fulfilled my assignment too. Well. <laughs> I am excited to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> you look excited, John. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest, guys. I spent um, I spent 
most of the day yesterday. I got up super early, spent most of the day in the sun. I took a day off and went fishing. And for whatever reason, when I spend a day in the sun like that, I, I should have known better. I just, it just wipes me out for a day. I just can't, like my mind just doesn't quite work. So mm-hmm. I might be a little bit slow today. If, I, if so, I apologize. Uh, yeah, I might be there with you because I turned my alarm off. And Sharon came in like 15 minutes ago and said, uh, are you getting up? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll be slow together. Yeah, there, there we go. go. There we go. There I we love go. it. Well, this Nephilim thing, Nephilim thing uh-huh. is, is just really uh, interesting. Uh, it, it's, it starts, I guess, with um, the, the Genesis 6 where uh, the Nephilim, according to some are the result of the sons of God uh, bearing children with the daughters of humans Mm -hmm. uh, before the deluge. And and so the Nephilim in some Bibles are are named the giants. And I'll kind of get to that later. Uh, Some of the Jewish explanations for the sons of God are the fallen angels. And if you look, if you, if you start going back to the Jew, some of the Jewish stuff, they, they, they don't even call them the Nephilim, but they call them the fallen angels. Mm. Mm. Um, the second reference of the Nephilim is in Numbers, uh, Numbers 13, verse 33, that the Nephilim inhabited Canaan at the time of the Israelite conquest of Canaan. Mm. Uh, the, the Israelites were... Uh, starting to think about the conquest of Canaan and the Lord sent Moses to spy out on Canaan to find out what it was like there. Hmm. And so Moses goes over and he checks it all out and he comes back and he says, wow, he goes, you're not going to believe this. He goes, but there's some people there that are really, really strong and they're giants. Hmm. They're huge. And so, and he told the Lord that, uh, their, their towns were large and they were fortified. Mm. And it's about here that I started getting a little confused because they kept saying, well, the Nephilim are the descendants of the uh, A-N-A-K, Anak. Mm. And, then, and then later on, it, it, they, they kind of, I don't know, it seems like some scholars seem to think that, they're, that the Anak or the uh, Anakites are are the uh, descendants. Anyway, I don't know who's the descendant of who. Uh, but anyway, they supposedly gave the Israelites a really bad review mm-hmm. that it was a place where uh, the whole area devoured people, and they were mm. these huge people that literally didn't want you to be there, and that. When, when Moses was there, he felt like a grasshopper among giants. Uh-huh. And then there's a, the, the last one is a vague mention of Neph- Nephilim uh, in Ezekiel 32:27. In some versions of the Bible, some scholars argue that the fallen men referred to in this verse are Gaborim Nephilim, the fallen warriors. Hmm. And other scholars read it as Gaborim Nephilim or Nephilim warriors. Um, I I could keep going on because the, the 
from what I was reading, there's different scholars that have different versions of this thing. Yeah. Uh, later on, St. Augustine kind of says that these Nephilim people are the, da- the, the daughters of the humans were the ungodly women of the bloodline of Cain. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can you can come up with all kinds of different uh, stuff on this. Uh, the Jewish views are that the uh, that they are definitely the warriors or the giants, and they do believe that they are uh, the children between the sons of God and the daughters of the humans. Hmm. Man, good job on that. I know. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, it's pretty... It's pretty vague. I, I could go on and on and on because there are a lot of people have views on it. Yeah. Dave, what was the Ezekiel passage? I wanted to jot that down. Not a problem. It was uh, 32 verse 27. Verse 27. Okay. And yeah. if you're in, if you're in what, uh, ESV, I think it's pretty vague there. You might have to go into NIV or something okay. to, mm-hmm. to, to get more of what they actually refer to. Yeah. Oh, that's so good, Dave. Thank you for your work on that. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty cool. You know, the, the, the thing about situations like this is you, you hope that you're going to find some type of conclusion. And the more you read, the more confusing it becomes. Hmm. You're like, I have no idea. Um, do any of you guys use Young's literal translation no. as kind of a side, side piece to, to maybe the ESV or something? Do you use it, Dave? No, I haven't. I remember, I think, when we were, uh, you you tend to use that, right? I don't think I have used it. Young's yeah. literal? Yeah, grab it. It's it's the Hebrew and Greek um, word for word, but exactly as it's written rather than, um, you know, how the, the construction of the, the sentences in English are going to be different than Hebrew. It's exactly as it's written in Hebrew or exactly as it's written in the Greek. And I found that sometimes it's very helpful to see how they actually wrote it rather than it being translated into English, into um, uh, cohesive English. Yeah. Like that. Oh, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a pretty handy it's a pretty handy tool. Is it kind of um, like yeah. uh, King James-like ver- uh, wordage? No, 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 no. no? No, let me let me see if I can grab it real quick, and I'll read. Um, I've told Adam about it, and he keeps saying, "Oh, it's just something you wrote." Like, no, <laughs> right? You just it. like it because it's your last name. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I don't. Um, it doesn't want to. It doesn't want to come up. It's on my iPad, and I don't want to take it off. But yeah, just uh, I just find that uh, sometimes it's for stuff hey, like this. What do you want to read? Sean, What's I, that? I said I have it. What do you want me to read? Um, I just I just kind of wanted to see what the Ezekiel um, the Ezekiel passage said. Ezekiel thirty two twenty seven. Dave said it was pretty vague, and I was just wondering if it was really vague in the Young's literal as well. Dave, thanks for that. I took notes. I'm going to go back and, mm-hmm. and research that as well. That was really, really, uh, really helpful. Thank you. Got it in? Uh-oh. What was it, Ezekiel, you said? 
Ezekiel 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh. But that's where ANAC comes in. Yeah. Interesting. And I've ne- I had never heard of ANAC either. Yeah. Or the ANAC guides. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm I'm really curious as to <clears throat> I'm really curious as to the language it's using. Um, the fallen among the uncircumcised, because the idea of uncircumcision is already a fallen people. Right. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I hope you guys don't mind, but this is um, sometimes this is this is the the best part of study is just just getting the people together and think grouping mm-hmm. through certain verses and, and, and we're probably not going to come to a conclusion, but um, I think um, this, this is the fun part of scripture. Yeah. Try, trying to connect and trying to decipher what, what yeah, this, this is the fun part. Frustrating though, in this, in this instance, for sure. <laughs> okay. well, the first thing that uh, Sharon had said when the, when the giants came up, is she was wondering if Goliath was of that breed of some sort. Mm-hmm. I think it might say that somewhere. Or at least imply that, huh? Let me let me look into that a little bit. You guys can keep rolling forward. Sorry, I'm I I'm I'm gone now. <laughs> yeah. I'm off on the Anakites trail now. <laughs> Okay, um, let's let's pick up in five, uh, and then we'll we'll kind of and again, um, you know, I, I, I keep saying that we're going to start picking up steam because the narrative just kind of tells it tells its own story, um, and there's not a ton of theology in here to slow down. But man, that doesn't seem to be the case. We we hung up a little bit on Nephilim, so, but anyway, okay, I'll, I'll catch five. And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Um. We talked about that a little bit last week, did we not? Yes. Okay. Okay. So I'll move on to nine. Uh, unless, do you have any questions? Anybody have any questions about that portion? No. Okay. Uh, so verse nine. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms of the ark, and cover it in and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. Make a roof on the ark and finish it a cubit above, and set a door on the ark on its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks, 
For behold, I will bring floodwaters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, which is, his, which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing that you, every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kind and the animals according to their kind. Every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in, into you to keep them alive. And also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. A um, couple things I want to go back to. Um, did God make a mistake? Well, it, it says that, um, yeah, exactly. It said that he regretted and he's sorry that he had made them. What do you guys think about that? Boy, that's a great question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, it's almost like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Sharon's right. It's, it's almost, you, you gave them free will and they just abused it. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and the text kind of implies that that God's God's taken by surprise. Like, whoa, look at what's look at what's come of this place. And and I'm sorry, I should have never done that. Mm. But I don't think that's what it means. I think I think I've seen scholars write that. Mm. Um, I've seen theologians write that. But here's the thing. God, God knew from the beginning of creation that man was gonna fall. God knew they were gonna eat the fruit. God knew all of this. And so nothing is a surprise to him. The, the, the entire Jesus narrative mm-hmm. was planned from before the foundations of the world. You see that in Hebrews. We see that in Ephesians. Um, so I would say that God did not make a mistake. But I think, that, um, I think that when God created mankind to reflect him and man failed at doing so, I do think it grieves God that, that we—, we um, we chose to go a different direction. And that's kind of weird. Like, if he knew, how could he grieve him, right? Yeah. What, do you, what do you say to that, Dave? Well, me? Uh, uh, Haas. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking back to, um, there's a similar moment where, um, and this one gets tricky too, where God... It says he regrets um, that he chose the people of Israel, right? And and Mo, it, it almost looks like Moses like talks him out of wiping <laughs> the people of Israel out after they start to worship a, a golden calf in the middle of the desert. And um, yeah, I, I see in a sense like the Lord. Um, 
Well, here's how I would say it. Sorry, I feel like I'm wandering into my thoughts right now. I'm still stuck on the Anakim. Sorry, <laughs> Dave. I, I, I did some research on the Anakites, so when the time is right, I'll share that. But um, to get back to where we are in Genesis, um, it, it seems like the author is using maybe human language to describe what's going on in the mind and the heart of God. There's no, there's no regret in the sense that um, God is... God made a mistake. I like that you asked that question, Sean. I, I don't see God making a mistake here. Um, I, I see it more as a, and you, I think you already said this, but more as grief, uh, a grief that he sees. Oh, like I think of God looking down on humankind here and saying, think of the potential humans could have had to love one another, to cultivate the earth and make it flourish. And they've just destroyed it, and they're destroying each other, and he's just grieved. And uh, anyway, those those are my thoughts. Yeah, that's Dave. That's exactly what 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 the the verse implies. The word is nahim, hmm. and it means to, to be moved and have pity or or have compassion hmm. upon a people. Which is interesting because it, if you read it on its surface, it seems that God's like, man, I goofed up. But that, that's not what it means. God's mm. taking pity upon humankind. And so if he's taking pity upon humankind, he has compassion for them. <laughs> it's interesting because he's, from that perspective, he's getting ready to destroy the earth. Right. Like how, how is this pitiful? How mm. is this compassion? Um, but I think we're going to see with Noah. It's, it's a reset. Um, the other thing I want you guys to notice is it says the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the, the earth, and it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way. Um, he makes a distinction that this is the way of human, human beings and not the way of God. It's, they've corrupted their own way. Um, this is not how God designed us. Um, let me see what else. Did we talk about cubits last week, what it, the length of a cubit is, roughly? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes, ma'am. That's correct. Okay. Uh, uh, so at the beginning of, of uh, verse 9, it, it says, These are the generations with Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generations. Noah walked with God. And I, I, I ask you guys to remember that statement because we're going to see that all throughout Scripture, mm. walking with God. And the question is, what we just read, how do we know that Noah walked with God? What evidence do we have here in, in that chunk that we read? that Noah walked with God. Because yeah. of his faith and obedience in building, in building the ark, because up to this point, you know, they didn't know what rain was. Mm. Yeah. So they didn't know what, you know, what floods would entail. And so, yeah, it was all faith in God. Just, just believing everything that God said. Yeah. Yeah. I, we see in verse 22, and we're going to continually see this with with Noah. Just keep reinforcing this. Mm. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded. And I don't want to turn this into a, or even convey that it's a works-based thing. Like, he's righteous because he he did what God told him to. I think the righteousness comes from the fact that he believed God, and that belief 
turned into action. Mm. The act, the action wasn't the justification in, in, in saying that because he did that, that didn't make him good in front of, in God's eyes, going back to the garden. What were, what were we, we asked to do what we're asked to allow God to define good and evil and to trust in that. And so Noah's righteousness comes from the fact that he trusted God enough that he, he, he moved, his faith uh, created feet, and he did all that mm-hmm. God told him to do. Does, does that make sense, guys? Yep. Okay, good. good. Okay, anything else in there that you guys want to talk about? Or Dave, you have anything to say in there? No, I just like the, you highlighted verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And then, and what you said earlier, they don't even know what rain is. <laughs> And I love that. I love that you said that because, man, isn't it, isn't that faith, you know, to, to not even know why God would ask us to do something or know all the details, but to choose to believe his commands anyway, um, saying, I don't get this, but I know on the other end, it will make sense. And so I think, anyway, I just, I really like, um, that you're highlighting that Sean and yeah, it's good. Yeah, and, and, and to, to, for further clarification, to just just today, you know, we're reading about this Nephilim. Yeah. And we have no idea what they are. We can't figure it out. We get little pictures. But here's the catch. I think each one of us in this room are like, yeah, they were they were real and they this yeah. is what happened. But but yet we still don't understand. Mm-hmm. It kind of, maybe a smaller picture of a, a Noah, but, but yeah. it's, it's trusting God. Okay. Um, would somebody pick up in seven, let's see, uh, seven, one through five. I can take it. Then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Yeah, there's there's mm-hmm. that again. Noah yeah. did all that the Lord commanded him. Um, we, um, we've heard this story told many times in many different capacities, um, and it's always two, two by two we see, but God told him to take seven pairs and he talks about clean animals. Um, let me, let me get back there. I'm sorry. Uh, a pair of the animals that are, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, a male and his pink. What do you think the distinction between the clean animals and the not clean animals are for? He's asking seven pairs of clean animals and then a pair of not clean animals. Any ideas? Does that go back to the circumcised and the uncircumcised? Um, uh, in a roundabout way, it does, Dave. Yes, yes. In fact, that the circumcised people were 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 set apart in God's people, and they were told uh, to, to 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 do certain things. They were commanded to do certain things. And the clean and unclean became part of that. So yes, it absolutely does. What is um, and this is really interesting because we had a, a discussion about this on 
my Monday night group. Um, when we hear clean in scripture, what do you guys think of? Pure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we we here's the here's the interesting thing. Remember, this was written as a at, from, by Moses. They're ninety nine percent certain, and it's it's telling a story of what happened um, while the Israelites were in captivity, and so. Um, a lot of let me think how to phrase this. A lot of what we're we're going to see probably won't make sense to us from that perspective unless we can put ourselves in like post Levitical law, if that mm. makes sense. Um, clean God. There there's certain animals that can be sacrificed, and there's certain animals that can be eaten. Remember when it talk, Leviticus talks about cleanliness and, and mm. some animals that they can't eat. Son of man is like, can't sacrifice. So he's telling them um, seven pairs. Remember, they're going to be on the ark for a long time, many, mm-hmm. many months. And so they're going to need food to eat, clean food to eat. They're also going to need clean food or clean uh, animals to sacrifice because some animals cannot be sacrificed mm-hmm. or, or are not acceptable to be sacrificed. So here's the conversation that came up in, in Monday night. And Dave, I'm going to ask you for your opinion on this as well. Um, it seems to imply after the flood that we are given the okay to eat animals, but yet it seems to imply before the flood that that clean animals were necessary, and it implies not just for sacrifice but for food. Hmm. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah. It could, yeah. Dave, what do you say to that? Yeah, I've never I've never heard that idea. I've always seen, you know, when they get off the boat, is it in chapter 9 where God says, sure. "Now you may eat of the the beast of the field in a sense." Um but so are you saying that it seems like the God is saying bring some clean animals on the boat to eat while you're on the boat? That's what yeah. it seems. Wow. But in catch, I don't know that that's I don't know that that's accurate. Yeah. I'm only saying up in our Monday night group, and right. we were kind of talking. So I wanted to ask you, uh, since I had you here, and we're talking about it. Right. Uh, yeah, I need to look into that a little bit. That's a new thought, because I've always seen it as Chapter 9 being the introduction to that, that they were they were uh, herbivores or herbivores before that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, something else we can yeah. ponder at some point. Um, okay, uh, verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came upon the earth and Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with them went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two male and female went into the ark with Noah as God commanded Noah. After seven days, the flood waters came upon the earth and, uh, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month. Incidentally, that's my birthday. So God decided to flood the earth <laughs> on my birthday. Uh, oh, wait, hold on. The... Are we supposed to read something into that? Or... <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Yeah, all chaos broke loose when Shaolyang <laughs> was born. Hold on, wait. You said the second month on the 17th day. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just say that it makes me very nervous that Moses made that clear it was on my birthday. Right. <laughs> That's so great. I didn't know that. <laughs> on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heavens were opened. And rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah, his son. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's right. I feel like I skipped something. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and three wives of his sons with him entered the ark. And every beast according to its kind, and the livestock according to their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. And those, those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded, and the Lord shut them in. Man, that's really cool that, that Moses punctuates the end of that with, the Lord shut them in. Hmm. It's not Noah that did that, but it's like God's hand of protection is now, I'm closing this door, nothing is going to, nothing is going to wreck that. Um, it's going to be crazy, tumultuous outside, but this, I, God says, I, I've got you covered. My hand's on this door. Hmm. Uh, the, the, any, anything in there you guys want to talk about? Yeah, I, I am growing up in the Philippines. Uh, I remember there was a time where we had a really, you know, uh, terrible typhoon, and it rained for about 30 days, hmm. 30 nights. And at first it was cool, okay, you're a kid, you get to stay home, you know, it's all fun, you get to do whatever you want. But as it progressed towards a month of rain, I mean, it came to the point it was flooded outside, there was a shortage on food, there was Mm. a shortage on all kinds of resources, you know, for us to live. And it was pretty scary. So just to imagine being cooped up in that ark for that many days and you see nothing, I could just imagine how scary it would have been for Noah and his family. For 30 days, we still had to be, you could still look outside <laughs> the trees and, and your neighbors, but for, to be in that art, I can just imagine how scary it would have been for them. Mm-hmm. It's like complete faith and trust in God at this point. Yeah. Was the rain coming down like super hard? Oh, yeah. 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 So there were Nights where and we didn't have electricity. Yeah. And so just we, just imagine. Tell ghost stories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just imagine, and with that in mind, that in the same amount of time, or roughly the same amount of time, water covered the earth. Yeah. Completely uh, above the tallest mountain. And water was not just coming from up, but coming from underneath too. Yeah. How crazily just just chaotic that that would have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, verse seventeen. The Lord continued. Uh, excuse me. The flood continued forty days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark. It rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh 
died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all of mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, uh, excuse me, man and animals, uh, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed 115 days. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Quick question. Just thinking here. It says that everything of flesh, birds, livestock, bees, swarming creatures, etc., died on the earth. But what about the sea creatures? Because mm-hmm. he created those too. Huh. Like, were they able to withstand the the, the pressure of that? Um, okay. So 15 cubits above the highest mountain. What's the highest mountain? It's, it's Everest, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. And I think Everest is 21,000 feet roughly. Does that yeah. sound right? I'll, I'll bite on that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think it's I think it's twenty one twenty one thousand feet, fifteen cubits above the highest mountain. That that's just crazy. Um, also, something else I want to point out. It says everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. Mm. What is? Do you guys remember when we talked uh, early in Genesis? We talked about breath um, and what that what mm. that represents. You guys remember what that represents? Do you remember the breath would represent life? Uh-huh. Yeah. And 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 remember that breath representing life was given by the life giver, right? We see that we see that word ruach in, in the first part of Genesis. We see it when God breathes into Adam the breath of life. And so what's God doing? He's literally withdrawing his breath from, from the world, from the earth, like almost like retracting what he's done. Mm-hmm. And Dave talked about it a little bit last week, I think, about um, which, which I never saw before, um, how God was deconstructing what he had constructed. Um, Dave, do you have anything to, to add to that? Yeah, um, this is... And I was telling Sean this. These are just little little things in Scripture that I love. That the more you read it and you see these things, I think it just adds to faith, right? We're, we're talking about faith of how Noah walked with God, meaning he trusts God's word over anything else. The opinions of human beings, his own thoughts and opinions, he believes that what God says is true. And so he walks with God saying, whatever you say, God, I believe is true. So for me, little things in scripture that add to my faith to say, man, God's word is better than anything else uh, are really exciting to me. And so that's one of the things that I love about how God has used human authors to be really clever in their writing and the connections they make. And so if you look at Genesis 1, which we've spent a lot of time on, right? What you see is is the phrase, and God said, ten times in the first chapter of Genesis. So ten 
creative speaking acts. And God said, let there be light. And God said, let there be. And so 10 times you see God creating. And, and Sean really did a good job of showing us that God is taking what was once chaotic, right? I, I know we every time we ask people, hey, what would you get from Genesis 1? Our tendency is to say, God's a God of order, which is a, a great observation that God takes chaos and he brings order through 10 creative speaking acts. He creates with the power of his word. And then what you see here in the flood story is um, kind of this decreation. If you were to look at the language, um, it's a reversal of the creative order that God brought in Genesis 1 is now like devolving back into the chaotic waters that we saw in Genesis 1, 1 and 2. Now, why that matters is later on, um, you're going to get to the story of the Israelites in Egypt and they're in slavery. And what does God do? He brings 10 destructive acts upon the Egyptians that we would call the 10 plagues, right? So 10 kind of decreative acts to show that he's in control and that he can bring either order or chaos. And then he brings the people of Israel out um, of Egypt into the wilderness, moving them into a new life and a new land. And what's he do? He brings 10 commandments. So 10 spoken acts of creation or order to say, this is what it means to be a new humanity, a new people moving into a new land. And he walks through 10 things. So anyway, it's just kind of fun for me. If, if you pay attention to, don't get too crazy. I advise people, don't get too crazy with numbers or you'll end up with your own radio station predicting the end of the world, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, it happens. People get really weird when it comes to numbers. But God really does drop little hints throughout Scripture of like, hey, pay attention to this and notice the patterns because there's some really neat patterns in numbers um, throughout Scripture that where you're seeing God create, you're seeing Him bring order out of chaos. Um, so the number seven, number ten, number forty, number three are all really important patterns to notice throughout Scripture. Like, oh, God's doing something here. And then later on, you pick up in the Gospels and you see all these numbers uh, repeated in some of the miracles of Jesus and, and so forth. You see the number three, you see the number seven, you see the number 10, you see the number 40. They're important numbers. So anyway, Sean, thanks for letting me get on my little uh, stump speech there. And <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. You know, what it, I love it, Dave, because you know what it does is when, when you see those little nuggets of, mm-hmm. of and, and just backing up, uh, I'll finish that thought in just a second. But what we're seeing is that we see God took chaos, created order, and created a humanity, created Adam mm-hmm. and Eve. And now we're going to see him deconstruct that order. Yeah. And everything's going to go away, and, and Noah is going to become a new Adam. Mm-hmm. He's going to reconstruct, and Adam becomes, excuse me, Noah becomes the new Adam. He becomes the new um, uh, uh, first man, if you will. And what all these cool little nuggets do for me, how many times have we heard people say, oh, the Bible's just a book written by a bunch of men and, and it's just a bunch of fairy tales. When we see the, the intricacy of all the interweaving stories mm. over thousands of years, there, there's just what it does for me is, is mm. it, it solidifies that there is absolutely no way it couldn't be the, the word of God, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. There is no way man could have 
constructed such an intricate book. It's impossible. But you have to look, just like Dave said, all these little little trails that you see, these connections that you see, these numbers that you see. It just solidifies with me that that um, that we should do all that God commands us. Hmm. Just like Noah. No. Yeah. Um, okay, anything else in there? Because I think we're going to stop there if not. Well, I wanted to add that, you know, each time, like with Adam and Eve, and again with Noah's family, Uh oh. Sean, you need to get better Wi Fi. <laughs> Can you suggest a booster, Dave? <laughs> it's $50. <laughs> I'll, I'll sell you mine for 75 Yeah, yeah, there you go. Hang on, I'm going to holler down the hallway. Hold on. God can do but anyway, I was going to say, it always shows us how God is so loving and so merciful. You know, he's always giving us a way out, you know, of all the corruption and all, all the evil. I mean, he could have easily just said, okay, I'm done with you guys. Mm. I'll start with a clean slate and start over again with a new Adam and a new Eve. But he's always giving us a chance to go back to him and, and rebuild that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what, you know what it does for me? It makes me think, okay, if God had all of this planned and all of these things take place, and we know that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth at the end of this, what else is in store for us? Because we see so many interesting things taking place uh, in the relationship between God and man and what God provides for mankind. It just makes, it just makes me think, man, the new heaven and the new earth has got to be more incredible than we can even imagine. Mm. Yeah. Okay, before we close, I have a fun fact I want to share with you regarding Noah's art that I read oh. yesterday. Okay, um, uh, there's an actual Noah's art replica that draws tourists in the Netherlands. This is a product of three universe built a replica of Noah's Ark that has welcomed about 3,000 tourists per day since it opened to the public in 2012. The enormous wooden boat in Dordrecht, the Netherlands, houses full-scale plastic animals. Hubert was inspired to build the Ark by a nightmare he had in the 90s, which he dreamed that the Netherlands was overwhelmed by a flood sent full 1,500 people and each animal that was life-size plastic cost about 11000 so all in all it cost him a million to build that Noah's Ark <laughs> all out of a nightmare wow it's interesting it would be a nightmare not a dream right it was a nightmare that yeah overcome by a flood yeah that's in the Netherlands? yes Hmm. I thought you were going to talk about that place in, I think it's Georgia. I think it's Kenham or something that built uh, a yeah, kind of replica of that. Yeah, that was my first thought, but then it took me to this, you know, Noah's Ark in the Netherlands. Huh. 
Huh, interesting. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anything else? So real quick on the Nephilim. Uh, <laughs> 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 and then we can go. What I found is interesting, uh, Dave, I think you're absolutely right about Goliath coming from the Anakites. Um is it looks like um, the giants of the land coming from the Anakim or Anakites um, were in Canaan. And then Moses, and then Moses passes on the baton of leadership to Joshua. So um, you get to the book of Joshua, and Joshua enters into the promised land, wipes out all kind of the wicked people in the land. They're supposed to completely destroy all people. Unfortunately, they leave some, and they create these refuge cities, like these places where they let people go and live, just not in like the land of Israel. So there's these kind of refuge cities along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea um, called Gaza and Gath and all that. And so some of the Anakim or Anakites um, that were giants were expelled but not killed. And so um, they go to these refuge cities, Gaza, Gath, a few others. Well, um, Goliath was a Philistine from Gath um, or Gaza. So there's a really interesting connection there that, that most likely Goliath was a descendant of these Anakites, these giants that were expelled to refuge, uh, refuge cities um, and kind of lived on the coast but not in the land of Israel um, so the, the giants remained a little bit longer, um, kind of hiding away. So kind of interesting. Uh, <laughs> so makes me want to do more research. So thanks for sparking my interest in that, Dave. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So for what it's worth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the beauty of scripture is it's, it's never ending. Man. Right. There's so in there. Um, hey, Dave Hawes, would you pray us out today? Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks, man. Father, we do. We just come full circle, and we just thank you for your your justice and your mercy. Um, Thank you that you don't leave us to our own uh, sinfulness, to, as we saw in Genesis 6, just the pain, the hurt, the heartache that happens when, really, as humans, we devour each other from selfishness. And God, you could have just washed your hands of us and let us uh, just kind of spiral out of control as humans. Even right now, I think people feel that of like, what's going on in our nation, our world? There's just so much injustice and pain. And Lord, we know that you won't let us spiral out of control. We know that you are bringing a new heavens and a new earth. Um, Thank you for your forgiveness, your mercy. Thank you for your way of escape. We think of how The ark uh, was an escape for a new humanity to be created. And ultimately, we know, Jesus, you're our escape uh, to be made new as a new humanity who love God, who love each other. Uh, May we show your love to this world that needs it so, so much. Uh, Help us to be bold, uh, to be courageous in how we interact with people and show them your mercy and your justice. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, everybody. (laughs) Every time she wants.